Patty. So how about Donna Embry with 51 years in the industry? Good, James. That was that was like maybe when your parents were still dating, right? <laughs> <laughs> Probably, actually. Good night. I thought, wow. So. Uh, this is the expert episode, right? All yes, about being is. an expert. Yes. And I think Donna definitely hit a home run with that. And then uh, uh, data breaches and fraud. And we have, yeah, I, I think this is a really uh, a slam dunk uh, podcast. We have it here. really is. I think if you want to be an expert, this is the one to listen to. Here we go. Let's go. Let's jump in. So this is Donna Embry with Embry Consulting, and. Uh, a long-time um, participant in the payment space and in particularly in the acquiring space. Donna, welcome. Thank you for uh, participating in our podcast today. Thank you, Patty. Um, My pleasure. So I was wondering, maybe just to start off, if you could briefly uh, describe your background in, in merchant acquiring. I know it's been you've had a long and storied career. If you could kind of give us the, the uh, thumbnail sketch of it all. Yeah, the cliff notes, here they the come. The cliff notes, um, yes. <laughs> right. Uh, I've been in the industry over 51 years, so I was there before there was merchant acquiring. That's right. Um, but my, my background includes banking, uh, processors, um, ISOs. I've been with all of those types of companies. I've been in the um, IT, um, the information technology um areas with uh, programming as well as product development, operations, uh, strategic planning, acquisitions, and then also worked with the issuing, acquiring, uh, bank card, ATM, checks, ACH, and basically all aspects of payments. So uh, there isn't much I haven't touched (laughs) or seen. Oh, in fact, if I remember correctly, when we first met, I believe you were your very first job when you were in college was at a check processing shop, right? Right. I, w- I actually ran a um, one of the check processing machines and hmm. sorted checks. <laughs> wow. I, I that bought- was right before Bank AmeriCard was formed, by the way. So. So, right, right. Which, of course, was the uh, the birth of, of bank cards. Right. So, so you've been around since the birth of bank cards. So, what are some of the biggest changes uh, that you've seen, particularly in the acquiring side, in terms of selling acquiring services that you've that you've uh, witnessed over the years? Right. The biggest the biggest changes I would see in this whole evolution. It's been an evolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first the first probably fifteen years of bank card, they were all managed, processed. Everything was. The bank was the bank, bank controlled, right? From, mm-hmm. Yeah, they they did it all, issuing and acquiring from soup to nuts. And there were some banks that were large acquirers uh, and processed for other banks, as my bank was at mm-hmm. the time. Uh, and then then uh, with uh, I guess the early '80s, there were a lot of loan loss problems within the banks, right? And uh, they took these cash cows and basically uh, wanted to divest. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. at that point. You saw the uh, the rise of ISOs, right? Sales organizations that uh, were new to the business, mm-hmm. uh, new to wanting to sell. Uh, you saw the advent of processors. I can tell you that my bank was the last bank um, at the time. It was Citizens Fidelity in Louisville, Kentucky. In Louisville, right? To yeah. purchase to purchase first data software. First data was in the software. Wow. <laughs> 
they supplied software for bank card acquiring. Mm-hmm. And that, that spawned the um, the notion that First Data can now be a, a processor right. back in the early 80s. So, so I saw the change from, from bank-centric acquiring to bank-sponsorship acquiring for uh, independent sales organizations, uh, the growth of independent sales organizations to grow into limited processors, if not full-service processors, over a period of the next 20 years. Mm-hmm. So uh, the change that I see now um, and have seen probably for the past maybe five or six years is the the advent of um, almost online selling or the uh, and the pay facts the payment facilitators right. do a very good job of that mm-hmm. where where they basically you have the ability like Square um, uh, to not have to go through the whole have a cold call sale you right. want to set up your merchant account you can do a lot of it online so not a lot of uh, not a lot of the face-to-face selling that that you used to see. Sort of a new dynamic. Mm-hmm. So, so what about selling and, and prospecting? I mean, there are, I know there are, are many different techniques that ISOs and agents use. What what do you think are some of the most successful techniques, particularly ones that you've employed yourself or, and or, you know, with the agents that you've taken under your wings, how you've shown them to successfully grow business? I would say I would say find a niche that fits you and learn everything about that niche. And let me give you some examples. Exactly. Thank you. I would say, yeah, I would I would let's take um, the restaurant industry as a niche okay so if 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 you really wanted to service uh the restaurant industry you need to understand their landscape how is the how is the restaurant organized you know how do they serve their food how is their how does their wait staff get managed how does the wait staff you know get most efficient mm-hmm. um what is that consumer experience because the the actual landscape of a restaurant would never match uh, the typical landscape of a mom-and-pop retailer sure and uh, so i i think the most successful that i've seen and i've been privy to and that i've been working with at, at the companies i've worked with with the sales agents is to cultivate that niche and be able to, so it's not just a one-trick pony mm-hmm. where you're walking in with, oh, let me see your statement, I'll give you a better rate. Right. I mean, it's sure. all about relationship selling mm-hmm. and all about today, especially making that consumer experience the best it can be so that so that you look at the niches that you're serving, even if that's not your primary niche to just call on restaurants. Mm-hmm. But when you call on a restaurant, know your audience right do your homework <laughs> and there's a difference there too isn't there not donna in terms of the types of restaurants you're going to be calling on right i mean exactly. uh, the lay of the land is going to be much different for a dine-in restaurant say for example as opposed to a takeout shopper or, or yeah right or, yeah as opposed to a fast food to, right to a fast food takeout to um those that have online you know ordering and mm-hmm. pickup or delivery you know, as opposed to, um, you know, how the how the lines operate, how you 
pick up your food? Mm-hmm. Is it at the table? Is it at a counter and go to a table? Is it, mm-hmm. you know, you really need to, to understand how that, how that works, how right. your systems, what you're selling them, how it would integrate into their process. Right, right. Not necessarily the process itself, but how does your system integrate with their process? Because I think the, the and and you're talking about do, there in terms of excuse me, but I mean when you talk about the process, not just how they process transaction, but the process of serving customers, correct? Absolutely, the, yeah. the whole operation of the of the merchant that you're calling on. Right. You right. Know, how do they operate? How can you make them more efficient? You know, you're not going to stick a, a a big computer or terminal or system right in the middle of the counter where they're collecting cash right you know how do you how do you make that how do you make that more efficient it's it sounds a lot too like what you're what you're saying too is the technology right because if you're really that focused on the operational side of things one of the main reasons i would think is that if you're trying to compete with square or these other uh, payfacts that do have the technology integrated in you know one of the big advantages is if you're going to like a hair salon or like you mentioned a fine dining restaurant is you know hey i also have a third party that i work with that's the point of sale system that really specializes in a hair salon or specializes in fine dining and so i think right if you're trying to move into that you really do have to understand the operations of the business so much better to sell that technology in addition to the payments right but i believe even in a even in a local small mom and pop you know no matter what they sell say it's just a a boutique Mm -hmm. you know that that single proprietor maybe a couple clerks that work there um even in that environment i i think that they need help in competing with with other types of services that are out there. So sure. you may not know the products that they're selling at that point in those types of environments, right. but that you should understand how they service the customer because their goal, all of their goals, is to be operationally efficient and to have throughput with the customer mm-hmm. and to drive customers and more sales to their business. Not about your payments, <laughs> I can tell you that. Right, right. And, and it, you know, that's that's not their top of mind. So, the best thing that you could do is to be that um, relationship cons- consultative seller of services, because you know, in the early days of banking, and that when the banks were the primary source, it was their relationships that mm-hmm. drove the business. You know, because they could offer you. Uh, commercial lending experiences, other types of banking services that would tie you to working with them. Mm-hmm. But then we moved into the technology age where it was all about technology, right? You know, and throughput and throughput of the technology, and that and I think today it's follow the consumer. Mm-hmm. It truly is follow the consumer, and that consumer experience, especially with social media and you know they can make or break a a process in nanoseconds right right you know and uh, all about the the security and the uh, making the consumer feel good mm-hmm. you know so i think that, that that that's the new the newer way to be successful in sales um is, is to be able to help that help that merchant with your products Mm-hmm. You know, to be able to facilitate that consumer experience, and and you can't, you can't. Um, 
underestimate what that would what that would do for the growth of the business. Sure, sure. And I, but in and I'm wondering also, Donna. I mean, obviously there are many niches out there. Do you think it's 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 better for for an agent to focus just on one or two niches and be really good at that, or you know, do they need to be broader than that and and does that depend on whether they're focusing locally or regionally or or what right well in part well if you look at just if you just just look at the philosophy of life mm-hmm. itself sure uh, the better you focus and the more you know in one area the more successful you can be right right um, absolutely in that area if you're if you're going to be a generalist um, and try to service all markets, which, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Right. But make sure your products match the services that you go into. You're still going to have to have your mm-hmm. template. Sure. As you will. So right. if you're walking down the street and you're you're cold calling every merchant down the street, merchant A never looks like merchant B. Right. Right. Or merchant C. So you still got to have your uh, your. I think spiel or your sales talk or right. whatever your your message is, um, you still should do your homework and mm-hmm. you still should match the um, the customer that you're trying to sell. You've got to differentiate yourself when you're in a commodity based uh, you know based business, mm-hmm. which uh, which this which has this become. become. Sure, you've got you've got to differentiate yourself and. Um, and actually, you know, that's to me, it's the best, the best model for success because not only do you get the sale, you've built a relationship, and your your percentage of retention is off the charts. Right, right. And so, so in in a way, I guess what you're saying is, is you know, the old days of, and I and I've known knew a lot of agents like this who, who would literally drive down the street and hit merchant A, B, and C, that's not going to work because you really need to do your research on merchant A before you go in there. I believe, yeah, I believe so, too. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the particular merchant. Right, but the, but the type of merchant. Right. Right. You know, what, and in some cases, it even could be the uh, the personalized merchant themselves. I mean, they're, they're consumers, too. They're buying your product. Mm-hmm. What's that experience look like? Right. Well, and it's like one thing too. I mean, I would I could kind of challenge the assumption be the devil's advocate a little bit just because, you know, I built my portfolio just a few years ago walking into every business on the street. But one thing that's interesting is when you're actually out there, you know, there really aren't that many business types when you're just walking down the street because you got your retail shop, you got your sit-down restaurant, your quick service restaurant. And so, um, you know, what I would try to do is and kind of to your point is, you know, I would have, you know, trifold brochures that are for pizza shops. And I'd have a different trifold right. brochure for hair salons. And so I'm like, okay, I'm really only going to walk into, I could segment the whole street into four or five, maybe six different business types. Mm-hmm. And I'll just make marketing materials for each one. But, you, you know, it, does, it takes a lot of extra research to try to be an expert at six business types than it does for one. Yes. Yes. Right. That's that's right. But, uh, but there are some commonalities, uh, you know, in it, you know, across all those merchant types. Right. And, and what a lot of ISOs, I guess they get now that it took them a while to do it is that they would walk into a merchant with their product and service and, and they don't really understand what the provider that they're using has as tools. So the mm-hmm. merchant could come back, for example, if you're working with a provider that does not have an integration to a mobile app, right? 
for that merchant, mm-hmm. and that merchant has that today, you're not going to talk them into replacing right. something. They're not going to. They're not going to go backwards. Sure. Right. Sure. Good stuff. So, so once a good prospect is identified, then how do you identify the the value prop, and how do you articulate that? Again, I, I think it goes back to the um, probably three cores. Um, I would say that it's, it's got to be their operational environment, what you can do to improve their operational efficiency mm-hmm. and their throughput. One is how can you help them grow their business? What are the tools that you bring them to to grow their business? Mm-hmm. Whether it's, you know, if, if you do X, then you will get uh, 5% lift in customers. Right, right. And then, and then it's it, the cost of integration and, and implementation. Mm-hmm. And and in terms of that, does that do it. yeah does that become does that become a stumbling block? As all, I mean, I know in the past that t- that could be a stumbling block. You know, technology and implementation. It would strike me that these days it's le- it would be less so because of the uh, technology savvy of consumers. I'm I'm not sure it's the technology savvy of the consumer. The, okay. end consumer, the end user, but the, maybe the technology um, capabilities of the merchant of that the you're merchant. trying to, mm-hmm. to sell. And in addition to that, I think the bigger stumbling box in the technology of the, of the terminal or the system that you're installing, most of it, most of the problems that you run into is in the boarding process. Right. You know, salespeople go in there, they don't have all the information right. that they right. need to yep. collect, and they go back two and three times, so they've lost that that confidence mm-hmm. of the merchant. You know, they're mm-hmm. not prepared, as prepared as they need to be. And, uh, you know, so uh, there's a lot of those stumbling blocks. Confidence and preparation, preparation. I would, are really key, I would imagine, right? I mean, and if you don't yep. exude that confidence, then the merchant certainly isn't going to want to tie his wagon to you. Yeah. Well, and that, and too, that, yeah. that kind of goes back to partnerships, too, because it's, you know, you, you do get in there and then you realize the VAR sheet you got was the wrong one after you did all the work. You know, exactly. I've had that happen to me several times. So I think it's also about you've got to have a, a partnership with an acquirer or processor that's going to give you the right information and have a smooth process on their end so you can have a smooth process on your end and the and the, and the right and, kind of support yeah yeah and when you promise them an implementation when you walk out of that store and you say you will be implemented and up and going by x day right make sure that you've covered all your bases so that that on that day it happens yeah because the one thing you don't want to oops sorry i didn't realize <laughs> that our company was going through something else and we're going to stall it for two weeks or, or i know, forgot there was a holiday hardware problems exactly <laughs> right. yeah. is it is it just me too or i mean isn't it that salespeople in general i know i always struggled with this that you know we we want to tell people what they want to hear um but you know what people really want to hear most is the truth and so you know it's exactly. funny i think salespeople can't stop selling it's like they already got the sale they already got the app and now they're selling the merchant on how i'll get it done for you tomorrow and it's like well, no, yeah. it's going to take you two weeks. Why don't you say two weeks? They'll be fine. They just want to hear the truth. Right. Exactly. And that's really what they want. They want to feel that they're not being just flimflammed by somebody right. or just, you know, just, uh, I guess they used to call it, maybe you could appreciate this being from New York around there is the bum rush. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, and I think that is a, a big issue. I remember, and I've told the story to James before that, you know, when I was first starting out uh, with my company 20 years ago and I was doing conferences, you know, I had all these 
agents coming and trying trying to sell me and it was like mm-hmm. quick 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 just sign 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 and i was like no no way right you know i mean take some time with me understand what i'm doing right um exactly yeah and, and especially in this in this day and age when it's it's all about me right you know it's not just all about me as the as the end user but it's all about me it's you know take care of me make me feel special give me right you know give me the tools and you know i i think that taking the time could could just garner you all the right results that's great. Well, this is really helpful, Donna. Thank yeah, you. Can I, I have one more question, actually, Donna. So with your consulting practice, just out of curiosity for the ISOs and processors listening in, what are, is there a certain area? Are you focusing more on sales or operations? Or kind of could you give us a little bit more information about, you know, what exactly are you planning to focus on? What problems are you looking to solve? Well, part of it, well, there are a lot of problems that could be solved. Always. <laughs> um, part of what I'm looking at, because my, my biggest, um, I think my biggest um uh, the, are the biggest thing that that I've probably been the most successful with is is trying to do strategic planning and road mapping. Sure. For you know what types of products were the gaps that you're mm-hmm. that you're facing today and yeah. and how can we fill those gaps? Um, in addition to um, in addition to training, just basic business and payments space training right. to help them understand what they you know what they need and what tools they need to go forward um i do have a small team of of, of people that are uh, working with me so that we can sort of divide and conquer some being um sure experts in project management um as well as uh, sales and sales management mm-hmm. you know on my team and then um Again, uh, you know, I'm all about the evolution of this, right. of, of the payment system. So what's the next, I'll be looking at myself, what are the next big things? Where can I collaborate sure. with some of the larger providers to say, you know, what's next? Yeah. What's next in payment? Right, and bring your history to bear on that. Yep. Sure. Well, Donna, would you like to give everybody uh, your email address just in case yeah, somebody where do, might? Where do, we, where do we go to learn more about your consulting? Sure. Uh, well, I've just set this up. It's brand new. Uh, it's uh, the only thing I have going for me is my brand. People know my name. So sure. it's, my email would be Donna Embry at DonnaLEmbry.com. Okay. Awesome. Great. There we go. That was a lot of good information. Some excellent information. Thank you very much, Donna, for, uh, for joining us on this. And uh, I look forward to talking with you and working with you going forward. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by Greensheet.com, a premier resource for the electronic payments industry. The Greensheet has been on the beat since 1983, always focused on boosting the feet on the street in our evolving sphere. Data breaches, sadly, have become a way of life. During the first six months of this year alone, there were over 2,300 publicly disclosed breaches worldwide that exposed over 2.6 billion records. More than 1,000 of those breaches occurred in the U.S., according to Risk-Based Security, Inc., a Richmond firm that tracks breaches. But here's the real kicker. According to an analysis by Verizon, the majority of breaches, 58%, occur at small businesses. Acquirers, ISOs, and MLSs have a vested interest in assuring their merchants aren't part of the statistic. 
The top five industries experiencing breaches in terms of sheer numbers of breaches, according to Verizon's analysis, are healthcare, accommodation, public, retail, and finance. Major retailers that have suffered data breaches over the past 18 months include Applebee's, Macy's, Sears, Best Buy, and Forever 21. The true cost of data breaches can be tough to quantify. There are some obvious tangible costs, such as time and staff resources devoted to investigating, responding, and reporting, victim identification, notification, and sometimes even compensation. The biggest hard dollar costs, however, however are the fines that get assessed for noncompliance with requirements like PCI, which alone can be large enough to bankrupt a company. And if that doesn't sink a business, the reputa reputational damage just might. A recent poll by the international consultancy KPMG, for example, revealed that 19% or nearly one of five consumers would completely stop shopping at a retailer they learned had been breached. Among those who were likely to return, better than half said they'd only do that after an extended period of time, such as three months to over a year. ISOs and the feed on the street have a vested interest in helping their clients fend off breaches and the payments frauds that can ensue as a result of breaches. Most small businesses lack the resources, knowledge, or time to adequately address these on their own. And sadly, many are woefully ignorant of the danger they put themselves in by not being security-minded. Hmm. You know, recently, James, I had a, a vet come in and take to check, you know, give my dogs their annual exam. Right, sure. Yeah, you know, it's a pretty large ticket item. Mm -hmm. I had two dogs, so, you know, right, by sure. the time all the tests are done. Right. And um, so I said, well, you know, I have a credit card. You know, I'm going to pay right. this on my credit card. And so she goes over to the, this is a mobile vet. She goes over to the draw, starts rummaging through, comes out with a little card reader. Sure. Just a little mag stripe reader. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, Mag stripe reader? <laughs> You're still using a mag stripe reader? I'm like, where did you get that? She's like, well, this is what QuickBooks gives to me. I said, right. Well, I use QuickBooks, and I know you can get a chip reader. Right. She's like, oh, I don't want to spend that kind of money. What is it like, seventy-five bucks or something? Right. And I said, if that. And I'm like, do you have any idea right. how much of a hole you could get yourself in? Yeah. By not doing this. And in fact, I was like, you know what? I don't want you running my card through your right. little thing. Uh, I'll pay you by PayPal. Right. But, you know, I mean, here's yeah. somebody who runs very large tickets. Right. Sure. Uh, a vet, a mobile vet, you know, they're coming out the country right. estates. Sure. And, you know, it's, it's not like outside the realm of possibility they're going to run a $3,000 transaction. Not That's possible. Without. I mean, my, my transaction was 1500 Sure. Right. You know? And I'm right. like, there's no way Yeah. I'm going to, you know... I don't get it, and you know, yeah. I, I, it took me a good half an hour. And she's like, "Well, I'll look into it." You know um, what? You know what, what would be interesting to me is uh, I think a lot of reps don't really understand. I, honestly, I think if you pulled reps, most of them would say that PCI compliance is largely a scam by the larger ISOs to make money, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is eh, could there's be. There's a, a there's a little bit of there's truth a little truth to that, to that right? right? But but there's also the real issue of PCI compliance. So let me ask you a question: You're a rep. You're talking to that vet. What do you tell her? Why explain how? What is her worst case scenario? How, why does she need to worry about this? Well, her worst case scenario is that her patient records are going to get pilfered, right? Because she's always logging onto somebody else's internet. Absolutely true. Right. So imagine just the basic security right there. Yeah. Uh, hmm. You lose that data. 
Yeah. You're sunk. Yeah. And it's your fault. And and do you think if it was my data that got lost, I'm ever going to call that vet again? Exactly. Yeah. And I think, mm. you know, so it's not just yeah. it's not just the data breach, right. but it's the reputational. And then correct me if I'm wrong here, but my understanding is, you know, now that EMV chip cards are out, right. isn't part of that where most of the acquirers have shifted that um, financial burden yeah. of fraudulent charges? So actually, we're going to get to I, that. I, I okay. touch on that in a minute. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that's a whole other thing. That to you know? me, to me, that was the big selling point where I said, do you have any idea how much it'll cost right. you Yeah. If, if this data gets breached? Hmm. Wow. And, and, and again, what struck me is just like, geez, I only have two bars. Right. I'm like, Right. What you're using a public network? Right. No, I'm using yours. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh great. Thanks. Great. Yeah, well don't worry, I had several PCI scans on my personal home internet. Like, no. Uh huh. Yeah. It's exactly. crazy. It's crazy. Wow. All right. Well let's see what else you got there. So I'm, I wanted I'm to curious. briefly yeah, so I want to briefly touch on three areas where ISOs and agents can bring their expertise and connections to bear. Uh, specifically PCI, sure. EMV, and then I just wanted to talk briefly about end to end data encryption. Okay. So PCI, the payment card data, payment card industry data security standard. It's or a mouthful. P, right, <laughs> PCI for short. Right. It establishes a baseline security, set of baseline security requirements for handling card payments and cardholder information. PCI applies to all players and commercial channels across the board. Any organization that accepts, stores, transmits, or processes cardholder information, whether that be acquirers, processors, all manner of ISO, of card accepting businesses, ISOs, they all must be PCI compliant. Right. The requirements are written by the PCI Council, which was created by the card brands. The card brands and the acquirers enforce compliance. And the data that needs to be covered by, that protected under PCI includes cardholder name, expiration date, service code, CVV numbers, and PINs. The sheer breadth of, of PCI, there are 12 basic requirements touching on technical and operational systems and processes, can make compliance seem overwhelming. But in reality, many of these are procedural in nature, like physical security, sure, network firewalls, strong right. access, access controls, written mm -hmm. security policies. Yep. And you know, most small merchants can use self-validation tools. Uh, these are questionnaires that include, you know, questions for each applicable sure. uh, requirement. And there are different questionnaires that are avail available for different verticals and acceptance environments, such as card not present, present traditional card present, virtual terminals, um, dial-up terminals, even knuckle busters, yeah. you know, e-commerce merchants that outsource payment processing to validated uh, third parties. Right. And uh, compliance portals are becoming increasingly popular. Yeah. Um, these are offered usually through acquirers and ISOs, and they help merchants complete the questionnaires, system scans, and they also usually contain training mod, uh, modules right. for, for the sure. merchants and their um, staffs. And it's important to remember that the PCI requirements are continuously updated to reflect changes in market and breach tactics. Earlier this year, for example, new rules took effect requiring multi-factor authentication instead of just usernames and passwords. Uh, for accessing systems that contain cardholder information. Multi-factor authentication is an access control method that uses at least two or three authentication factors. That is something you know, such as a PIN mm -hmm. or answers to secret questions, something you have, like a chip card or a token, um, and something you are, 
biometrics, mm. think in terms of biometrics. Sure. The requirement takes direct aim at spear phishing attacks against system administrators. But in reality, anyone with access to bulk cardholder data should be, re be required to use multi-factor authentication when seeking access to that data. Sure. Yeah, and I think the easiest one multi-factor today is uh, the text messages because, yes. you know, then it's so hard for somebody to breach a system where in order to get in, you got to get a code on your phone mm -hmm. and, again, something you have, right. and then you have to enter that code in. That makes it pretty difficult. It does. And, uh, you know, I've been noticing most of my financial accounts now require yep, that. Yep, they're all going to that. Or yeah. at the very least, they're giving you the option to, you know, move over to it. Yeah, and it's, it's funny because at first it seems like, oh, what a hassle. i got to go make sure I have my phone. And it's like, right. Right. Oh, but how how much more secure can you? Right. How much of a hassle is it when your data gets compromised, right? <laughs> Thank you very much, right? Yeah. So to talk briefly about EMV compliance, the migration to EMV chip cards and chip-activated chip POS devices has had a huge impact on fraud at physical points of sale. According to Visa, that among brick-and-mortar merchants that have completed the upgrade to EMV-compliant terminals, dollar losses from counterfeit card frauds fell by 76% between 2015 and 2017. Wow. But here's the thing. Only 63% of U.S. storefronts are, were accepting chip cards as of March of this year. Yeah. That's more than two years after the liability shift took effect. In other words, nearly four out of 10 storefronts still aren't using EMV terminals. You know what, you know what really surprises me? And this, I don't have any like data for this. It's more of anecdotal, but it's just, is it just me? Or it seems like a lot of the really big places are the ones who are the last yes. to switch because of the cost of doing this with their existing, Right. it's, it's crazy. Like, but I don't like, you think that that would be more? There's so much more to lose. Right. But I feel like when I go into most small businesses now, they are like, oh, they got their, because they got their new terminal lease to them or whatever, right. and they're good. But then I go to, I mean, for a while, what was it? There's still a couple, um, a big grocery store here, Martin's. Right. Um, that I went into. Buy us as well. Okay. I went into, Mar for Martin's, it took them, they were at least a year past the date. Sheets, the, yeah, sheets. Sheets blows, blows my mind. All still. The, yeah, they still don't. Don't. And you're like, my goodness, they have 500 locations. So I think a lot of those... Um, are some of these larger ones right. where, you know, that's a big opportunity for somebody. I mean, you know, most likely they're trying to go back to their existing technology vendor and say, hey, help us out here. And they're asking for $4 million right. to make the switch or something. But, right. You know. But still, you know, I mean, I, I, I've had that conversation with some friends the other day and they were like, oh, I always pay at the pump. And I'm like, well, I get my gas at Sheets and I don't pay at the pump. I pay with cash. With cash. Yeah. <laughs> because I just, yeah. you know, if I'm going to do that, I'm not going to get myself in, in that kind of mess. Yeah. So. Hmm. So, um, but to explain the liability, um, right. I know you brought that up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for those who aren't familiar, merchants that can authenticate chip cards bear the full brunt of losses on any transactions using fraudulent cards. Right. Whereas historically, the, the um, issuing banks ate some or all of those losses. Right. So now the loss is completely in the in the merchant's ball field. Sure. And if you know, if I'm understanding this correctly, the reason is pretty simple. It's because, you know, if you know, let's say you have a merchant that doesn't accept a chip card. Right. If somebody comes in with a fraudulently created Magstripe card, if they were set up to accept EMV, the terminal would recognize, would recognize that, that and say, oh, no, no, insert the card, and that fraud would never have happened. Exactly. But because they're not set up for EMV, it's their fault. Yes, indeed. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So... So EMV security, for obvious reason, isn't an option for e-commerce. Right. And it shows. Fraud losses at e-commerce sites have been on upward trajectory over the past two years, and last year consumed 8% of e-commerce retailers' revenue streams. Hmm. 
Wow. Isn't that a, that's wait, a, say that eight percent of e commerce revenue streams. Good grief. That means eight percent of the dollars charged. Yeah. Or you know right. transacted. Wow. That's a big that's a big problem. Somebody's gonna be finding a way to solve that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Wow. That's crazy. Uh, digital good merchants are seeing the largest spikes, not surprisingly, because mm-hmm. it's instant download. Sure. Their um, loss increases. They saw loss increases go up forty percent a year. Well, they're now the target. You know, if, if if somebody was making their money before by fraudulently using card information, they now can't do so in a physical store. So they're doing it online. online. Exactly. Wow. That's, exactly. That's, that's interesting. I didn't think about that. Um, so there are several platforms and solutions in the market that can help e-commerce merchants distinguish between good customers and fraudsters. And many of these use advanced tools like artificial intelligence, behavioral analytics, geolocation technologies, and shared intelligence in order to support automated, informed decisions in as close to real time as possible. Sure. Hmm. Wow, that's uh, that's that's really something. That 8%, that'll stick with me for a while. That's pretty that's crazy. Good, that's a big number. <laughs> that's humongous. Humongous number. Hmm. So I'd like to just conclude with a few words about data encryption because I sure. think this is becoming more and more important. Yeah. Uh, end-to-end encryption, also known as point-to-point encryption of card data as it travels across networks, has been available for years. POS payment solutions that integrate encryption are widely available, and encryption is attracting more attention from merchants and their service providers. That's because payment card locating now malware has become a common attack method. It has been tied to many high-profile breaches, including those that hit Target in 2013, Home Depot in 2014, and Applebee's earlier this year. Massive breaches like these uh, really drive home the need for data encryption, for card data encryption. While end-to-end encryption remains an option for retailers, these types of solutions are destined to become a best practice. Sure. So if encryption isn't in your services toolkit yet, it's a good idea to start now educating yourself about it and and uh, evaluating encryption offerings so that you can bring them to your merchants. Yeah, absolutely. It's just a crucial. It's crucial. So, wow. This is, and I'll tell you what, too. I think uh, sales reps, maybe as a general rule, I always see it from that angle because, mm-hmm. you know, um, sure. I think they underestimate the level of interest that merchants have in this topic. Yeah. They I do. So. I'm telling you, you want to set yourself apart, actually understand this. I remember a couple of really funny stories I have to tell real quick. This is so funny. Um, one time I was at this jewelry store. And I was signing them up, high-end jewelry store, and I'm signing them up on credit card processing. Uh-huh. Someone comes in, and uh, uh, what did they do? They bought a, something, and I see this person filling out a three-by-five card, the employee. And I was like, what is that? You know? And, and he says, that's our layaway program. And I said, well, what do you mean exactly? Well, you know, when someone wants to do a layaway, we write their cardholder information down on a three-by-five card which is in this box. And then once a month we go through and run all the transactions for it. And I said, and it's always stored in a locked compartment. No, no, it's, and it literally is sitting right by their register. I said, do you realize what would happen to you if somebody came in and just took that box? And all of a sudden he got this white face. He looked at me like, uh, hadn't thought about that. And I'm like, this is PCI compliance. The other one that's just hilarious. One time I was in a pizza shop. I kid you not. I literally saw an employee writing. So what happened was somebody else was using the credit card machine and he was taking a delivery order. Right. He's looking for something to write on. He literally wrote down a credit card number on a napkin. I actually saw it. It was great. (laughs) One of my favorite stories is the, uh, the, uh, chimney sweep that came to my house a couple years ago. Yeah. Gave my credit card, took a piece of paper 
Oh, it did, did the, the it did the the, the pencil, pencil thing. Yeah, the pencil thing across it. I'm like, you mean you guys? Don't, I mean, you could have a knuckle buster, and it would be better than what. You're right, doing. right. Yeah. Literally, he's about 25 years behind the curve there, uh-huh. at least. Yeah. So yeah. that's great. Hey, good one there, Patty. That was awesome. Uh, Got to be an expert in this in this PCI. You really have to be an expert on security. Security, it's just a must today in the in this space. Today's business, yes. Awesome, good stuff. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast, brought to you by InstantQuoteTool.com. With over 30 training courses covering everything from sales objections to statement analysis, ISOs are using our learning management system to help new agents understand the industry and how to sell merchant services. Industry veterans love our courses because we dive deeper into concepts such as interchange and explore new industry trends like cash discounting, NFC, and the resurgence of American Express with the Optimum program. Put all of these training courses together with the leading proposal creation tool for merchant services agents in the field, and we believe our branded ISO solution and individual user package is a must-have. Visit instantquotetool.com today or email support at instantquotetool.com to learn more. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.